Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Today on the podcast, I'm going to discuss five of the best things that you could be doing right now related to hunting. Seasons have ended in most Midwestern states, and if you're toward the northern edge of that, you've still got one to two feet of snow on the ground. Seems like ice fishing could be your best bet, but there are some pretty valuable activities that you can still do during the winter months. Before we get started, I have a quick message about the Spartan Forge app, which you can get a 20% discount on by using the code DIY. The app allows you to do all of your standard mapping, navigation in the field, and waypoint management. You can currently choose from three different satellite views, topo, and in many areas aerial imagery at multiple time points throughout history, view public and private lands, color code your permission status on those private lands, view all of your forecasted and historical weather info, add journaling entries for your hunts that automatically tag the weather conditions and wind for that time period, and view a deer movement prediction powered by machine learning based on collared deer studies across the country. I also have a walkthrough video posted on my YouTube channel that you can use to physically see the app in more detail. And with that, let's dive back into the episode. All right, so to start off with, the first thing I think you can do right now is similar to what I talked about in the last podcast, which was to take a a high-level look at your whole hunting season this year. Look at the things that went well. Look at the things that didn't go well and try to adapt that list and, you know, make changes so that you have a better 2023 season than you did in 2022. I'm not going to go too much more into detail on that one because uh, that last podcast that I did went into a lot of the specifics on how I you know kind of went through that whole process myself and how you might be able to similarly do it. But I do think that that's a really valuable activity so that you're not just kind of you're in and year out repeating the exact same things and that hoping that something happens to magically get better one year. Um, and even if you had a great season in 2022, uh, there's always maybe, you know, some things that you can improve on, or you say like what made 2022 that great and make sure that you capitalize on those same exact things going into the next year. Now, the other thing I think you can do this year is going through and really taking the time to sift through all the trail camera photos that you have, any kind of historical information that you're able to populate throughout this year. So that's nice and easy and organized. I find that when I organize trail camera photos, not only does it kind of mentally build the picture of what was happening as I'm doing the process, meaning like I might be looking at these camera photos throughout the season and thinking about in real time, like, okay, what's going on right now? And then you're checking cameras and you're getting new information, uh, but your mind is still kind of always focused on whatever's happening right now because you're actively focused on trying to hunt at the same time. But then when you get to the end of the year, I find that when I look back at those photos again, it's like, oh man, I kind of forgot that this was happening this time of year, or I forgot that this deer showed up in this area. I wonder why he was doing that. And so the process of sifting through these photos and organizing them into different folders uh, for, for different reasons makes it so that number one, that's refreshed in my mind and it kind of builds that whole picture. And then I think about the whole season and the deer movements throughout the season a little bit differently than maybe my memory up to that point in time had been. And the way that I like to categorize chill camera photos is, and it, again, depends on how many cameras you have and how many photos you're getting in and how much time you have to 
allocate toward it. If I want to go really into the weeds and take a lot of time on it, I'll go through, you know, SD card by SD card and try to delete all the photos that are nothing, right? All the squirrels and just wind photos, which I mean, I can take a decent amount of time if the thing's been soaking all, all fall and maybe even some of the summer, but then that helps me kind of just really filter down to the important photos. And then from that, I'll have a photo that is all just kind of like doe photos and buck photos. And then what I oftentimes will sometimes do in addition to that is make a mature buck photo where if I think a deer is likely, you know, like three years old or something like that, um, or if he just seems like a, a really big two-year-old just based on what his body size is, then I'll throw those pictures into that, uh, that folder. So I might have three total folders for any given SD card. And I think that tends to be pretty helpful because a lot of times when I'm looking at historical data throughout the season to give myself a refresher, I might just you know, pop into one of those photos on, on just the older deer, but it can also be helpful if you have a deer that shows up and you're like, huh, I wonder what that, like, he's really nice this year. I wonder what his patterns were the last couple of years. You can look back into some of those other folders and maybe, maybe you do have pictures of him from the last year in one of those, those, uh, you know, bigger buck folders. Maybe he wasn't there at all. So then you ask, ask yourself the question, okay, well, is he actually as big as he thinks he is, or did he just make a really big jump? Maybe he was just in that, uh, that regular buck folder before. So you can answer questions like that for yourself. Uh, but even if it is a, a deer that you're familiar with and you're trying to figure out those patterns, it does help you out a little bit just to be able to, at a high level, quickly go into those folders. But then something that I also do that I think is even more helpful if you happen to be trying to pattern a, one specific deer or a couple specific deer is I'll take individual photos that that deer shows up on and I'll move them into the Spartan Forge app. So, and, the, and by in the Spartan Forge app, I mean the journaling uh, feature of the app. So I'll take a photo. If it's not on my phone already, I'll use my phone to take a photo of the trail camera photo so that I have it on my phone. I mean, you can transfer the file from SD card to SD card. That's fine too. Like whatever, however you want to do it. But ultimately I get that photo and I create a journaling entry and I set the date and the time on the journaling entry to be the exact same as the date and the time that was on the trail camera photo. And then I'll plug in any pertinent details that I might want to remember about that deer. Um, and if there happens to be anything that's noteworthy about the photo or the circumstances around the photo, I can add that with notes, but I don't always go through that because a lot of times the trail camera photo might be all that I really have. And so when I set the date and the time and I mark the location for that journaling entry, it auto populates all of the weather information. So you know, was it cloudy that day? Was it a west wind? Was it 15 miles an hour, five miles an hour, um, barometric pressure, all the stuff that might be you know helpful to look at retrospectively to figure out why that deer was doing what he was doing at that specific time on that journaling entry. Right. So then I build that library and let's say I had, you know, 21 pictures of, a, of that particular deer and I can, you know, give that deer a you know, big nine or something like that. So that I can kind of sift through and I'm looking at all those journaling entries and I'm trying to figure out what that deer's doing the next year. I can look for all those journaling entries that are titled, you know, big nine or whatever I have them titled as. And I can look through like, okay, here are all the pictures I had in October. Here are all the pictures I had in November. And if I'm looking at this in the October timeframe, I'll review all those photos that were during October. And, okay. He was doing this on a West wind on this day. Uh, and then he was doing this on a North wind on this day. Right. And then you can kind of that next year, if you're under the assumption that he's going to repeat a more or less similar thing that he had the year before, um, that can give you a big boost. And 
really it's just kind of an efficiency thing at that point. You're doing the work now so you don't have to take the time to dive in and, and try to redo all that work next fall. Now, another thing that you can do this time of year, move into topic number three here. This one's less about, uh, I guess, hunting specific stuff and more about just shooting, uh, would be to join an indoor archery league. Um, just about everywhere you can find indoor archery leagues this time of year, at least in the Midwest, I know. And a lot of times it can be really fun. You can, of course, join a very competitive, you know, indoor spot league. Most guys that do those kind of leagues are not shooting with hunting bows. They have indoor target bows that are set up. I mean, you can use obviously whatever you want, but even if you take the opportunity to, to shoot it with a competitive bow setup, I mean, the thought process there is you're, you're in there to try and improve your mental game. You're going to be in high stress scenarios. You're going to be shooting in such a way that you expect to shoot really high scores. And if you screw up, you've just ruined your perfect score, right? It's a totally different mentality than, you know, something like 3d where you're, you're trying to you know build up points throughout the, the course of the round, but that high stress shooting environment and knowing that everybody else in the line is about as good as you are, if not better, that could really teach you how to manage some of those stressful situations, which of course can help you during the hunting season. If you, even if you aren't using the same weapon, and of course you can join bow hunter specific leagues where you are able to use your hunting bow. I know that, uh, locally to me, we have fun 3d leagues as well that are, uh, you know, traditional based where they might move some 3d targets in, or they might do a 2d league indoor. Uh, but the focus there is less on the competitive side and more just on the fun side. So there's a bunch of different ways you could do that, uh, but it definitely helps still keep you engaged. And if you have a particular issue that you've been working on, like maybe you just weren't really happy with the bow tune that you had last year. It never really gave you a lot of confidence or maybe you struggled with target panic, or maybe you were really kind of curious about trying a different, you know, stabilizer system or, or whatever, but you never really took the time throughout the season. Now's a good opportunity to test that stuff. Cause you got plenty of time before next year to be able to tinker. And if you like whatever, you know, you change, you can stick with it. And if you don't, then you can go right back and you still have plenty of time to adapt to it. Now, I will say that if you're going to make a change, I think it can be very helpful to be deliberate about whatever that change is, set a plan, try to track to it, evaluate it. Meaning if you're doing something equipment wise, try to write down your numbers, see if you can score an improvement, which is especially easy shooting indoors because you're shooting scores. And if something is doing better or worse over a couple of shooting rounds, you can really start to parse that out. But then in addition, let's say you're trying to work through, you know, something like target panic. Well, if you just go into those shooting leagues and try and shoot the same that you had before, but you don't really have a good plan. I mean, there's a chance that doing these indoor leagues might actually make that target panic worse. So, so if you're able to go into it with a plan, like, oh, I'm going to try a hinge release, even though I've never shot one before. And I'm going to, you know, have somebody give me a quick coaching lesson, you know, somebody who knows what they're talking about whether it's somebody at your local range or whether you take an online course like the shot IQ course to, you know, try and help improve yourself there. Uh, but then that gives you a blueprint to be able to start working through and fixing some of those issues. And then maybe you're not as worried about the actual scores that you shoot, but the point is that you're out there, you're shooting at targets, you're having a good time and you're, you know, working on improving yourself. So all of those are, are great options that I think shooting an indoor league gives you the opportunity to be able to do. Plus you're oftentimes, you know, helping to support some of those local shops in the area that uh, could definitely use the business. Now, another more fun thing that you can do this time of year, which doesn't really have much to do with your normal local hunting experiences, take a trip. 
Uh, there's plenty of deer seasons that are still open in the South right now. There's also hog hunting that's available in the South right now. I know I've talked to guys who have done the, the coos deer, uh, trip in Arizona and this year for the Spartan Forge vets hunt giveaway, I'll be going down to Alabama. Um, I'll actually be driving down there not too long after this podcast launches. Uh, but I was doing some research on that state. I mean, there's, yeah, there's plenty of opportunities between national forests and WMAs, uh, plenty of public land possibilities. There's rot maps that you can look at to really kind of help hone your research. And if you want to extend that mobile hunting season and, and go down to one of those states and do a trip like that and be able to hunt the rut, you can absolutely do it. And there's also the other opportunity where you're like, man, I, I just, I was grinding this season. I just want something that's easy. You know, you can go down there and uh, do a private land hunt for hogs or something uh, to that effect, which I know a lot of guys do as well. And it can be uh, an immense amount of fun. I have done the public land hog hunting in the past, just through the Saddlepalooza events that I've gone to, which have always been in Fort Stewart uh, in Georgia. And they've never been easy. Uh, I only killed one pig when we were doing that. Granted, each trip is only like a couple of days and hunting is always the second priority over just spending time with the group. But it definitely wasn't like hogs around every corner. And what was interesting for me as somebody who has almost no experience hunting hogs is that their sign would be everywhere. So much ground to be rooted up and you'd find pig sign and tracks all over the place, especially in areas that had more open ground where there's just, you know, kind of this mud and swampy area and palmettos. It was like, man, they could be anywhere. But at the same time, you weren't frequently seeing them, even when you were just kind of still hunting and moving around with, you know, a firearm. So from that standpoint, it was like, if I wanted to go and do this, it's not necessarily going to be a cakewalk got to really be able to learn to interpret what fresh sign is versus maybe a week old sign. Cause I don't think they're quite as patternable as say a whitetail might be, I guess granted this time of year it'd be rut hunting generally whitetails anyway. But, but point being those pigs get hunted very hard on public lands from all the accounts that I've heard. So if you want an easy hunt, your best bet is probably to go on a, a private either you know ranch or hunting club or something like that. Some places that advertises that you can go and do that unless you happen to have friends or acquaintances that could you know point you in the right direction. But certainly a way that you can help extend your hunting season a little bit more, maybe hone your public land skills or just have a good time. So all of that is definitely possible if you're taking some of these additional trips down south. The last thing that I have on my list, number five is probably not a big surprise, but scouting. And I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, like a lot of you certainly know, there's a lot of snow on the ground in the upper Midwest right now, uh, enough where it's not fun to walk in at all. Uh, you know, one to two feet at my house, it's closer to two feet. I just measured it the other day and it's probably the most snow that we've gotten in a number of years this time of year. In fact, usually for late season hunting, which oftentimes ends at the end of December, here in Minnesota, we haven't really had much snow and that's made late season hunting even more challenging, right? You have all these firearm seasons that have just ended. So the activity and the pressure is finally starting to die down, but the deer are still kind of hunkered up and you're trying to figure out where they've gotten pushed to and all the ground is frozen. You got no fresh tracks and there's no snow on the ground. It makes it very tough, but this year has totally been the opposite. Uh, and I've wished that if I did have a late season tag, I would have had this kind of weather. All of the, the hunting I did this year, I guess I could have gone and tried to fill one of my additional tags, but uh, with the amount of ones that I was able to fill this year, I didn't really 
feel the need. So I just kind of switched over into scouting mode. But you can tackle it two ways. Number one, you can use all of the snow right now as an advantage and say like, man, I'm just going to stick it out right now. I'm going to, you know, get some snowshoes or whatever, spend some time in the woods and really pick apart what the deer are doing right now and where they're located because we're still not that far past the hunting seasons that a lot of those deer are still going to be in more or less regions that they're going to be generally in late season. So if you find out what they're doing now, there's a good chance that even if you don't have snow next year, they might still be doing similar things, right? We have enough snow where it's, it's making travel very confined, uh, making those patterns very obvious to see probably more so than they would be with minimal snow. However, the general locations are still going to be a lot of times based on where the deer first deer feel safe and where they feel comfortable. And therefore a lot of times those will still be repeatable enough to where you can really learn something from them. So definitely take the opportunity uh, to be able to learn from what the deer are doing right now to apply to future years, late season hunting. But then even outside of that, a lot of people that I know and are close acquaintances with, they don't just hunt their home state. They go and hunt other places. Like I was just talking to one of my buddies who lives in, in Southern Iowa right now. And he's like, yeah, we got no snow. Like their late muzzleloader season was just kind of tapering down. And at this point now in the, in the year, all their hunting seasons are done. But since they have no snow, everything's kind of locked in all that rut sign for the prior year. So like, let's say you got a tag coming up that you're probably going to draw in the next year or two. Well, you can go drive down there and start doing some scouting. If that's one of the zones that you plan on hunting and it's going to be very similar to as if you were scouting in March, right? It's, the landscape's going to look very similar. Look at some of your other states that you hunt. Maybe you're not from the upper Midwest. Maybe you're some other place, you know, Ohio, Pennsylvania, whatever. Look for places that you generally hunt that might not have snow and do some walking of that land and try to learn some of those historical rut patterns and learn the landscape. I think generally, and I've talked about this before and I've talked about this with guests, when you do your spring scouting, you're not oftentimes learning the specifics that you would with in-season scouting that can really help you put together the final pieces, but you are definitely learning the landscape. You're learning how deer generally uh, like to move and, you know, live throughout a property and you're learning where the rut sign is and all of that stuff can be really helpful, especially if you're going back into a property that you didn't think you were going to hunt that much, but you know, maybe your plan A fell apart and now you're on plan B. And if your plan B is an area that, you know, like the back of your hand landscape wise and rut sign wise, then you can really easily pick to pick up some additional pieces of the puzzle through your in-season scouting and have a much better leg to stand on than if you hadn't scouted it at all. So take that opportunity to cast a little bit wider net and I think you'll be uh, better off for it. That'll do it for this week's episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Empire on Instagram and Facebook. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content from myself, subscribe to DIY Sportsman on YouTube and hit the bell icon to be notified of new videos. You can also follow DIY underscore Sportsman on Instagram. And with that, thanks for listening.